Welcome back to the Leverage Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ari Mizell. And I'm Nick Sonnenberg. And today our guest is Jeff Blade. So, Jeff, welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. So, Jeff is the author of a book with a title that I love, which is Do What You Want. Uh, former Goldman Sachs investment banker decided that wasn't really what he wanted to do and now helps people find out what they really want to do. So, Jeff, thank you again for being here. So tell us about your start at Goldman and then sort of how you made that transition. And so, I mean, the book, the, the title of the book, Do What You Want, is the phrase I've been using my whole life. Just want to do what I want every day. And I had no idea what that was. In As a kid, I, I learned the value of working hard. I worked my tail off in school, got top grades, ended up at Goldman Sachs, which was the best job that I could get in Australia and a few years later, I stepped back from that career and started asking the big questions. What do I want? What really matters to me? Who do I want to be? What life do I want to live? And that started a process back in 2000 now, so 17 years ago. And I just stepped back and started reading self-help books. At the time, I had no idea where it would take me. And 10 years later, I left Wall Street and started writing that first book. How long were you on Wall Street for? For eight years at Goldman, and then I took 18 months off where I was focused on these topics full time. Then I went back to the Carlyle Group through the credit crisis, uh-huh. and I was there for a few years investing in distressed. Cool. Yeah, we have a bit of a similar... Did, uh, no. I, I saw yeah. that. Yeah, I know you yeah, came so, from... Yeah. So I, I was eight years on Wall Street as well. I traded the Australian markets for a few of those years. I stopped in 2010 as well. Hmm. Uh, no, no, not 2010. I came back to the U.S. in 2010. I stopped in 2014. But... Similar to what you said, what do I really want? And didn't want to sit behind a bunch of screens and people that, you know, some, some I liked, some I didn't like, but wasn't my ultimate goal in life. So how did that unfold for you then? So you reached that idea and then you, what, what then transpired into so, you leaving? So, so, well, there's like two things that happened. One, I was doing quite well when I was young, but I just was really unhappy in Asia when I was living in Asia. Mm. And so, you know, at 26, I decided to give up a lot of money for happiness and took an 85% pay cut to move back to New York. So that was, you know, the first big decision I made. But then I went on a trip to the Turks and Caicos with one of my close friends, and I saw him working from his laptop by the pool. And that was really a big defining moment for me because I finally realized, okay, well, I'm still making pretty good money, even though I took a big pay cut, but he has freedom. And that all of a sudden opened my eyes to this whole new world. And I said to myself, wait a second, high-frequency trading, it sounds cool, but that's actually what's really cool. And Mm. I had these ideas that I wanted to pursue, so I started doing it on the side until it eventually just consumed consumed me, and I just couldn't physically sit there anymore and Mm. didn't care about the money. I just gave up that extra 15% and went for it. Mm. So when you're – and you advise a lot of Wall Street people now. I do. So what I left to do was to write that first book, and I had no idea where it was going to lead me. I just I became obsessed with these ideas over 10 years of reading books and writing thousands of pages of stuff. The idea of Wall Street and these careers was no longer appealing to me. And so I became so interested in this stuff and I left and started writing that first book and then clients started to show up. And so over time I built a private client business where I work on retainer. I only work with a small number of clients at any one time. I don't dispense advice. My view is I want to work with people all the way from where they are till they get what they want. And now we're building a consulting firm to do that on an institutional level so you could go into these firms and be able to push down systems for all employees. 
I, well, so I, the, the interesting thing for me is I, I look at investment banking with because I have a lot of friends in the business, and I I went to Wharton, so like everybody in my all my classmates went into finance. I look at it very similar to the army. Mm-hmm. You know, you have people who go in, they do their four to seven years, and then they get out, and then you have people who are lifers, and some of them really like it and they love it, right? So, I mean, you, are you causing like a mass exodus in the in the finance <laughs> industry? <laughs> no, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> But a lot of what I do is is really it's both sides of it, which is if you want to leave, leave. No. See, the problem on Wall Street and frankly in every career is a lot of people sitting in these jobs that they just don't want to be in. And so they're neither going to win and succeed and they're neither going to leave and go do what they want. And so how do you construct for yourself process so you can do that? If you want to leave, how do you migrate your way from that idea all the way through to the exit? And if you want to stay, how do you win at it? Because where I found, what I found is a lot of people are trapped in the middle. They're neither really into it and loving it and therefore going after it and being the best they can be at it, nor are they serious enough to go and leave and do what they truly want, to do what you did, Nick, and say, hey, the money's one thing and the prestige or whatever it is that has them there is one thing. But then on the other side is this thing they really want to do. And a lot of what I do, Ari, is I my work is if you, is mostly about stepping back and building methodical process. So rather than encouraging people to leave or to stay, it's to step back and build a process to figure out what you truly want and then build a system or systematize your actions to get you there. Very much like a lot of the stuff you're talking about with efficiency I was listening to, systematize your entire career that way. Get very clear on what it takes to win and become very methodical in the way you do it or get very clear on leaving and go do that as well. Yeah, they call it the golden handcuffs for a reason. Absolutely. (laughs) So that is – okay, so that's that's extremely relevant and very interesting to me now. So – it was interesting, but the systematizing your career – so what does that look like? What does that process look like when you're working with people? So for me, it's five steps. So over reading, over 10 years, I read thousands of books. And what I found was a lot of redundant ideas and a lot of me too ideas. And, you know, what I recognized but had no solution for at the time was I didn't need another fucking book on mindset. I didn't need another book on mindfulness. What I needed was to take all of these ideas that I was learning and systematically put them to work every day. And I took that notion and applied it to your entire career and built a system that I call the system for doing what you want. And it's five steps. Step one is get very clear on the goal. So define the goal. And I I train people to do this at two levels. Because my real question for a long time was, what do I want? I had no idea what I wanted, let alone how to get it. So create that goal as a vision, so a big picture vision, but then get very clear on the goal that's right in front of you. So take your friends on Wall Street. If you're a vice president on Wall Street and you don't know what you want, dream up that vision, whatever that vision is, but then narrow it back down and get very clear on that next step. So it might be making managing director. It might be focusing on other opportunities, but get clear on that step. Step two, I call getting it. Getting it is all the intelligence in the system. How do you actually win at something? So if you're a boxer, how do you win? What does it take to win? Is it punching power? Is it speed? Is it defense? Is it offense? Is it footwork? It's a whole bunch of things. But if you want to be really good at it, you want to get very clear on what your approach is. What's your winning approach? On Wall Street, a lot of the job is selling. Now, most people won't won't admit that they their job is selling, but it also means they won't get good at selling. 
So rather than saying, well, to win in investment banking, ultimately, you've got to be really good at driving relationships and driving revenue. So if that's the mission, if that's what it takes to win, what does it require to get good at that? Become an expert at selling. Step three, build a plan. Step four, execute that plan, but iteratively. So you're constantly working towards that goal and you're constantly planning and executing and iterating your way there. And step five, which I think is the most important step, is getting skills, which is what does it take to get what you want? It takes skills. You know, it takes vision and planning and goals and whatnot. But most of the reason people will never get what they want is they don't have the skills to do it. We come back to the fighting metaphor, the boxing metaphor, the most skilled opponent should win. I wrote a book on Donald Trump, right? The most skilled guy on that stage at that mission was Donald Trump. He destroyed 16 competitors because they didn't have the skills he had at debating and at driving a message into the market. Interesting. Yeah. So when, how often would you say then the people you work with end up leaving the current career rather than, than making it work? It de- I don't take on a lot of those clients. So my, the sort of people who I'm interested in, I'm interested in working with people who are already very successful and want to take it all the way. You know, they're a partner at Goldman Sachs. They want to run the firm. See, that's exciting to me. That's a lot of fun to me. I have had clients in the past who were focused on that sort of change, which is should I leave or not? But by the time I get involved, what I'm much more focused on is making that transformational leap. I'm not particularly interested in work or I don't work with people who are the the average variety. I hate my job. What should I do? Because it's just not particularly interesting to me. But if, if I generalize your question, I would argue that, you know, the vast majority of people who think about quitting their job never will quit their job. They'll be there for the next 20 years whining about it. They'll neither truly win nor will they go and find what they truly yeah. want. It's like purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of what you're saying also seems like um, something you could extend to relationships. You know, a lot of people stay in relationships uh, when they shouldn't be absolutely. in a relationship. And how do you take your relationships to the next level or decide – you know what, like it's, I'm comfortable, you know, everything you said, it's, you know, you're comfortable, maybe things objectively seem good, but maybe there's something better. Absolutely. I mean, I think of these approaches as really a metaphor that systematizing your career as a metaphor for everything in your life. Yeah. If you want to get in better shape, how do you do that? If you want your relationship to be better, how do you do that? And ultimately, I bring it back to getting very clear on that, on your system. So for instance, time management to me is I built a system called the system for unleashing your time. And it's not a schedule. It's how do you get very clear on the principles and then systematize it every day so that like a a pro athlete, you wake up in the morning and you're very clear on what you do to win, which is a lot of what we're doing in the hedge fund world right now. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, okay. This is a big, like a really big, you watch the show Billions? A little. I don't watch much TV. <laughs> You're a little bit like the coach in, in Billions, the, the in-house coach. In some I ways. Yeah. Yeah. I hated it at first because it was like, when, if you're in finance, it's, it's like a little bit hard to watch when they're like, like aggressively speaking with each other. And it's like, all right, that doesn't really happen to that extent, you know. And like everything is like some clever, aggressive phrase. But it, it, I don't know. I, I kind of started liking it. <laughs> so, well, who's the coach? What's the... Uh, no, she's like an in-house therapist, basically. Uh-huh. But it's like a performance coach. So people come in. They're like, oh, I don't have the confidence to take a big position anymore. And she, like, gets to the bottom of it and, like, builds them up. And they're like, 
yeah, I'm going to crush it. <laughs> and they go out and, like, make a big trade. <laughs> go push the button. Yeah. Uh, so what do, you, what do you see as often as holding people back? Not just, you know, whining and not wanting to take this up, but, like, specific challenges that people have to overcome to take it to that next level, whether it's uh, a time management thing or productivity of some sort or just their own emotional baggage, whatever it might be. The, you know, there's one word that just comes to mind straight away, fear. It's always fear. No matter what it is, it's, or I shouldn't phrase it that way, but I kind of want to, which yeah. is it's a big generalization, but it's always fear in some variety. You know, it's fear of, you know, take confidence, right? Fear of being criticized or fear of not being good enough or fear of failing in some variety. But the bigger question behind that is ultimately, so what does hold people back? their unwillingness to move through that fear, their unwillingness to move through that uncertainty. And in many ways, you know, a lot of the things, you know, like from what I understand about your story, to step back and look at this disease and say, how am I going to solve it, right? Versus saying, well, I can't and I'm going to suffer from it and whatnot, versus taking a very proactive approach to figuring out what you can do. And a lot of people who I meet are stuck in webs of fear and a lot of the time, you know, it's, it's sad to me because these are not of our own making. It's a lot of social conditioning. It's a lot of expectations other people put on us. And in the end, though, it's a question of one of my favorite books it's by Susan Jeffers, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And I think a lot of us need to, to truly go after what we want rather than just accept the life we have it requires embracing a lot of that stuff. I, I, I mean, I, I definitely can relate to that because I remember I didn't leave for probably a year because I was scared. And I, when I when I quit, finally, I was shaking when I walked out of there thinking, okay, I know high frequency trading, specifically a type of high frequency trading called index arbitrage that maybe 100 people in the world do. Like, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, and um, but there's also there's also the fear of not doing it. You know, I'm totally. scared, but people get comfortable doing what they do. So you just fear the change, but really there's there should be an equal or greater fear of not making a change. That's right. But it's harder to see that that fear. You're right. What I the way that I think about that, Nick, is it's temporal, meaning that at different points in time we measure a certain fear. And the way that I address that if I want to address that with someone, I always just fast forward in time. So a lot of my clients these days are in their fifties and sixties. And as you get older in life and you're looking back, right, we all know this, all the psycho psychological research tells us people in nursing homes are looking back on their life, regretting the things that they didn't do. And so those twin fears, right, earlier in life, the fear is on uncertainty or change or whatnot. If you fast forward and you look back, the fear is always regretting the things that we didn't do. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, I mean, the greatest people, you know, greatest people in human history weren't immune to fear. They were just people who acted through it. And I, I appreciate what you said, which is when I quit Goldman, I'd spent six years on this stuff. I'd been reading books, written all these ideas. And at that point, you're already like the first few years of investment banking, you're working crazy hours. I, I'd imagine still you're working crazy hours after year six, but you've gotten over that initial hump where it's like slavery. That's right. So uh, you must have been facing, okay, should I quit? I've already put in all the hard work and gotten through that initial hump. Um, when you're factoring it in. <laughs> sunk, so cost sunk cost fallacy. Absolutely. And it was looking at it and saying, well, you know, and sitting with my bosses who were saying, you know how much money you're going to make this year? 
what are you leaving to do? I don't know what I'm leaving to do. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And so I quit with all this conviction. But for three months, I was still at Goldman. Why they said, well, why don't you take a look at this job and that job? But there was that feeling of, I know I'm ready to leave, but it was still hard. There was still that fear. When I sat to write my first book, the fear was so thick that I couldn't even get through it. It took me years to learn to get through that resistance. Well, I mean, when you look at, like, the mon- the money that you were probably making, and it was, like, s- 10 standard deviations above the average, so for, you know, the odds of just randomly finding something as good is quite low, so it's normal to be, uh, I think, scared to leave some job. I mean, I commend you for facing that. Totally. And, you know, look, the thing that always drove me was that, feeling of what do I really want? Mm. I grew up with no money. I grew up in a a fairly poor background. So money was never a draw for me. What was always a draw for me was doing what I want, was creating that life I wanted. So once I had a little bit of savings in the bank, it didn't matter to me in the same ways that it might matter to someone else. Interesting. I would have thought the opposite, that if you grow up with money, then the money is not so much a factor because they're used to it. There's a whole bunch of ways to think about it. And when you talk to a lot of people, there's lots of different wiring on it. So there's that generalization. There's a lot of generalizations on it. For me, my wiring, and this took me years even to deconstruct, my wiring was I just dreamed to do what I want every day. I just dreamed to live the most amazing life I could imagine. Early in life, that led me to work hard thinking that was the answer. It led me to this job that I figured would create the most amazing life I could imagine. And a few years in, what did I realize? I was sitting in a box 80 hours a day. And I did like it. I actually liked Wall Street a lot. I loved Goldman in many ways. Mm -hmm. But I didn't love the job. I didn't want to do it every day. I couldn't have imagined doing it for the rest of my life. And so my search was, what do I really want? What really matters to me? And in many regards, a lot of the practical stuff went out the window. Even when I left Carlisle, I wasn't thinking about how do I write a book or how do I build a business? It's pretty foolish in hindsight. I didn't even know anything about the information marketing world. You know, I'm in in many regards, I'm an internet marketer, but I had no idea there was even an industry like that. I just set out to write a book. I had no idea about how you even sell a book or build a business. I had no idea. I just knew that this stuff mattered to me so much that I had to go do it. And, and so how... How are you working with people now? Is it is it primarily one-on-one coaching or do you have other programs? It is. It's private clients. It's retainer only. And I work with them for twelve minimum of 12 months. Many of my clients have been with me for years now. And then the consulting firm is how do you do this in an institution? So how do you take these ideas that make one partner at Goldman Sachs much better and design systems that you push down to everyone else? Not training, but actually, how do you systematize an organization? Like what I heard you guys talking about earlier with these tools and unleashing them in your business. How do you take the best tools and push them down to make everyone better? I I mean, I could see a huge need or use case in HR um, departments here because if someone's looking to pull the trigger on some really expensive candidate, you know, the the, the best thing that you could do probably is see if the candidate, if, if this is some, a good fit for the candidate, you know, and if it's not a mutual good fit for the company and they're going to start spending millions of dollars on this person and they could have avoided that loss by you coming in and just making them more aware, hey, look, this does not match your long-term future goals. You don't want to be an investment banker. You should do something else. You might save the company a lot of money because in three years, the guy might figure it out on his own. Someone. and save both people time. 
Somewhat. My focus is winning. It's what I care most about, right? What I want to push down is systems for people to win more, to get better. All of my work in the end is, you know, personal development became my thing because it was all about how do you create that most amazing life? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what we train is expert skills. How do you win? And how do you systematize winning so that you can run a, a leaner, better machine? Yeah. I mean, the way that I view that is uh, you kind of find someone that you want to mirror and then you research how, the, how did they get to where they're at. Yep. That's one way to do it, right? Model model excellence, right? An NLP would be we call that. So figure out. So if you walk into a hedge fund, which, you know, which I did two days ago, you've got a guy at the top who founded it, who's made a lot of money and he's very successful. And then he hires a lot of great athletes and then they hire them. And then what? They hope that they perform versus what you just said, Nick, is exactly the way I think about it. Figure out what makes this guy so great Mm -hmm. and model it and institutionalize it, not just kind of push it down every now and then in in random ideas, but how do you take that excellence and institutionalize it? What does that look like in practice, though? It looks like systems. So, for instance, there are three systems that I I roll out for all of my clients and and fill in this kind of concept, right? The three systems for optimizing a person that I've built, the system for winning, which is my the books, Do What You Want, that five-step system we walk through. The second system is a system for your mind. So mental conditioning is a, is a big thing in my world. If you want to win, if you want to get better, if you want to be more effective, how do you condition your mind every day to get better and better? And how do you systematize that, push that down to people so they're not making up their own morning or daily routines, but literally... Build systems in the organization so everybody has a process that they follow. The third is push down systems for people's time. Again, there's just varying degrees of efficiency and skillfulness at managing time versus if you can provide people with five, six pages or assist an online system which enables them to get very specific to how they're using their time and more so to optimizing it over time. Say so it's not so much it's not training it's how do you push down systems through the organization? That's what we were just talking about, basically. So that's <laughs> that's yeah, it's fascinating. And do you, uh, are there tools that you like to use to do that? The tools that, that I use are mostly so I mean the tools that I built. So if you I do I do use Rescue Time for a time audit, but most of my time management stuff is delete. Most of my time management is elimination, right? Eliminate everything that doesn't relate to what truly matters to getting what you want. And then focus 80-20 principle. I was, you know, I really, I was really moved by Richard Koch's book, you know, the 80-20 principle. And the, the theme of it to me fits into everything that I do. It's that notion of getting it. Get very clear on what it takes to win and focus your time there. Uh, this is really, I mean, congruent with what we, we always talk about as well and fascinating to me. So the last question we always like to ask on these interviews is, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? Hmm. One, get very clear on what matters. So if you were going to run a marathon, you get very clear on what it takes to achieve that goal. Two, process all the time. Everything that I do comes back to process. So if you want to be more effective in your day, step back and get very clear on what process leads to that. One of the things that's not talked about enough in time management and efficiency is that it's not a logical topic. It's an emotional topic. And so until you can get beyond like Brian Tracy, Eat That Frog, and Stephen Pressfield, The Resistance, until you can get beyond those emotions, you have to build a process that enables you to get beyond the emotions, to systematize it. 
Three, build skill and just keep getting better. Every day, focus on what I call daily exercises. So all of my clients end up with daily exercises that every day they read and practice putting to work every day. Perfect. Those are great. Where can people find out more about you? Jeffblades.com. Spelt the wrong way. (laughs) G-E-O-F-F. Blades. B-L-A-D-E-S. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Want to create more positive leverage in your life? Visit www.getleverage.com to access additional interviews, our blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe to hear a new episode every week. 